If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, I am Randy Andrews, and this week I've got Tim Benson with me as we talk about X-Men with regard to the release of Logan today. We will talk about how X-Men has changed over the years and more on Soundtrack Alley. Tim. Hey. Glad to have you on the show again today. Always a pleasure. Yeah, we've got a full show talking about X-Men from the year 2000, so we can even get into some really cool music of Michael Kamen. Yeah. Um, I found that Michael Kamen, he's done so much throughout his career. He did Highlander, he did uh, Die Hard, he's done so much, and his career has been full of different types of movies that he's uh, been compared with. Many people may say that the director of X-Men, they're not real big fans of <laughs> Brian Singer. Yeah. But I myself, I'm a big fan of Brian Singer because he's consistent. Yeah. He's very consistent with his way of bringing out the char- characters for like X-Men in particular. And then it's been kind of a true passion for him to kind of keep things consistent and uh, chronologically correct. Yeah, I mean, he's failed miserably at keeping all six movies in the same universe, Mm -hmm. which is what he's gotten a lot of criticism from fans. Um, But I mean, I think the highlight here is it's the year 2000. This is one of the first of the, you know, current generation of superhero movies. And so people were a lot more critical in the same way they are of Superman. Like, we don't get very many superhero movies. Or we did, especially in 2000. Yeah. This was, I mean, it was Spider-Man and then X-Men. And so everyone wanted it to be the X-Men. And Bryan Singer brings a little bit more Hollywood to it. Um, Yeah. He's he's okay with, with stretching lines and crossing lines. And um, he wanted to tell a good story. And I think... I think long term, he's put out some great superhero movies. Yeah. Um, even if it wasn't by the books, and, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Well, and the especially with X Men One, the first X Men movie, it was an original story. Yeah. It wasn't a story told 
that brought in extra characters or I mean it did bring in tons of characters but the storyline wasn't from the comics it was an original storyline that he came up with and I thought that was great yeah I think I think almost every I mean every one of them has the origin story um and I think he did a good job of not weighing the movie down with an origin of the X-Men. Um, we got pieces of it little by little um, being told through the origin of one character. Um, so I thought that was an effective way of bringing a huge group of characters onto the screen without bogging it down. Uh, there's no way you could go to source material. No. You know, you go to the original five and it's just not, that's not the five characters audiences wanted to see in the year 2000. Um, and so you can't go to source material because you have, you know, years of history. Uh, so I, I think there's no way to go to source material for any superhero movie. Um, and he's done a good job of coming up with a new story. So. Yeah. And uh, I really liked the fact that throughout the, the years that we've seen X-Men movies, uh, Brian Singer has brought something more to the series, keeping the chronological movement of the series moving and i mean he did the first trilogy he's done the second trilogy yeah he, he got dropped for the third movie which mm -hmm. i if i was you know i'm sure he's glad he's not associated yeah. with that movie at yeah all, i think terrible. that should have been probably two movies oh yeah or that movie if was... not three the well the third you mean x3 yeah it's just a bad movie yeah <laughs> like, i it's so you're so happy to see those characters, yeah. but I still watch it, mm -hmm. and I still enjoy it, but it was bad. Um, yeah. But I mean, for me, Brian Singer, he was, nobody had any problem with him for X-Men. People made fun of the suits, but that's just what well, it was, you know? He, there was an in-movie in joke about Wolverine yeah. wearing the yellow yeah. spandex. Who really wants to see Wolverine in those yellow spandex? Oh. No one. Yeah, I think I think he he takes the the burden of being the first. You yeah, know? yeah. Because after X Men, you see Daredevil in the leather suit, and you mm -hmm. you start to see you know other characters in superhero movies starting to wear more realistic costumes mm -hmm. than spandex. Like, come on, nobody thinks spandex would really like i'm a superhero i'm gonna go get spandex I'm like no <laughs> so i think he was just the first one to have to bear that yeah um, and so i think costumes were a big joke but nobody had any problem with x-men one no nobody had any problem with x-men two and i'm sorry like the nightcrawler scene in x-men two that was pretty amazing like, i don't care what brian singer does like he gets lifetime credit for that yeah um but then I mean, we're all over the place here. I'm all over the place. But then he made Superman Returns. And his name was just forever tainted with comic fans. But I wouldn't say that. I no, mean, no, I mean, like, I don't know, have a problem with it. For but like, me, I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, but I'm a big fan of the original Superman. And it brought all those feelings back and I, from I feel the like original. a lot of people felt like he just stepped all over the original in, with, by making Superman Returns. And so... Like I said, he, he just, he bears the burden of being the first. The first, yep. And so, yeah. but X-Men, the year 2000, it was amazing. Yeah, it was a really yeah. decent movie. I mean, you got really high credits for the actors in the movie. Yeah. You get uh, 
Patrick Stewart. Yeah. You get Ian McKellen. They're both British yeah. actors that were Broadway actors first. And they became, you know, they were friends even before X-Men. And that's what kind of kept that, like, chemistry on screen for both of them. Definitely. Yeah, the Patrick Stewart and McKellen, you know, Professor X Magneto, that was that was the movie for me. I mean, that's that was just so great. And McKellen as Magneto is just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So I thought those were great casting choices. And the chemistry between the two characters is, is wonderful. So Yeah. And even with James Marsden uh, as Cyclops, yeah. there was a scene in the movie where they're at the train station, him and mm-hmm. uh, Storm. Uh, Halle Berry's character, yeah. and uh, there's a boy that is there in the same train station, and uh, Cyclops looks down at him and he smiles. Mm-hmm. And Brian Singer kept it in the film because it was so natural, and the kid loved X Men, yeah. and in, in particular loved Cyclops. So it was <coughs> unplanned, but the kid was a huge X Men yeah. fan. So. Uh, things like that when you look back on previous episodes that I've done like with Steven Spielberg he used uh, different elements to bring out uh, a reaction from a child uh, such as Close Encounters Yeah. and um, I've talked with Eric Woods and he was talking about E.T. that's another one that yeah. used these elements to get a proper reaction out of a child, and it just works. Yeah, I think uh, Cyclops is probably one of my least favorite X-Men. Yeah. Just in general, um, and James um, Marsden, Marsden who plays him, he's grown on me. Uh, yeah. He's he's made some recent stuff, and I think he's really good in the humorous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but in that serious role, he's not so great. But that scene with the little kid, that really like solidifies the type of character Cyclops is. Yeah. You know? And so I'm glad they leave that in right before you go into like heavy drama. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll talk to you Jackman a lot, but the Cyclops Wolverine, you know, the... humor, the banter back and forth was, was a strong element for the movie. Mm-hmm. Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, again, strong, a strong element with the two of them. Halle Berry. Probably my least favorite yes. actress. The uh, one of the like my least favorite of all time. The element but... of what she had done in that movie, she didn't bring a lot to that film. Yeah. She got like they changed her character when they brought out the new X Men movies with oh, like yeah, X Men in... Apocalypse. And that storm was amazing. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I mean, you can tell, like, the 2000 X-Men, there's, you know, the humor, the banter between Cyclops and, and Wolverine. You have this, you have these characters, and, and Storm was given some really... Poor lines. Really tough dialogue to deliver. Yeah. And I, I just don't think Halle Berry is a, a an actress who can pull off the that funny line. Yes. And she, I'm sure she, she's good in other types of roles. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in this horror movie. That was, I can't remember blanking on the name, but um, she was fantastic. Gothica. Oh, um, okay. I really liked her in that because there's no humor in that movie. But I mean, X-Men, she's, a, she's asked to pull off some like really tough dialogue. Well, they had originally asked Angela Bassett yeah. to be I, I, Storm. I'd feel the and same way. And I can way. see that. 
Yeah, I think she would have delivered the same, though. Like, no, no, she could do pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, yes, you know, we, you talked about Hugh Jackman, and the thing about Hugh Jackman is he's just perfect for Wolverine, even though Wolverine in the comics is only 5'3". Yeah. But uh, they even had to have Cyclops wear... Uh, like right razors on his shoes. Yeah, yeah, he had to wear stilts or something um, on his shoes to make him taller than than Wolverine. Yeah. So that way it appeared that he was shorter, um, even though Hugh Jackman is like six one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hugh, yeah, Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Uh, I mean, there's no question that I mean he's probably the greatest actor in a superhero genre. Mm -hmm. ever um you know he's the credit he gets right now it's like the old um you know credit with how many movies david carradine being in so the most movies of all time well yeah hugh jackman's been in the most like superhero movies i think he's up to like 10 or something yeah you know? yeah um i mean man x-men one two three um days of future past um, uh first class was he? In, he oh, made an yeah, appearance yeah. Without in the first cameos, class. you know, yeah. but he had the four X Men movies, the solo, um, well, the two solo movies, and then yep. the, the reason we're doing X Men today is because of Logan. Logan. Yep. Logan comes out, and to jump over the place again, Logan. I assume you've seen the trailers. Yeah. Um, Johnny Cash hurt. Mm -hmm. for, oh man, they just keep coming up with the wonderful ways to use that song. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting when Hugh Jackman prepared for the role of Wolverine, he would take cold showers. Um, <laughs> it, I found it in my notes that uh, every morning before filming, he'd take a shower, a cold shower, to get into character. And uh, the tradition started when jumping into the shower at 5 a.m. and realizing there was no hot water. And he was shocked awake, but not wanting to wake his sleeping wife, he grit his teeth and bore it, and before realizing that, this was the mindset. That he wanted to scream, lash out at something, but having to hold it in, that's the type of character Wolverine was. That he had this inner conflict mm. that he couldn't lash out, but then he's got this animal uh, type of attitude that brings out the claws. Yeah, now that's... I hadn't heard that. That's really interesting. Yeah, um, I thought it was a, kind of funny. But... Such a, ma a mundane thing, but it, I mean, it, it helps an actor get into character. Yeah, to be able to hold that in. Yeah, and, uh, you know, his scenes with uh, Mystique or uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos. I mean, she was the martial artist for the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah. And she was the fighter. And so she fought... Wolverine, and she even, you know, made herself look like him to yeah. make it harder for the other people to yeah. identify. That's that's so surprising. I mean, you look at the villains, um, the Brotherhood. Um, you look at so it's Magneto, Mystique, the shapeshifter, and then this is probably the the worst call of the whole like writing sequences: Sabretooth and Toad. Yeah. Like, Sabretooth is fine. Uh, we see a, a great Sabretooth in the later movies. But this one, this version of Sabretooth was just... 
He was a hired thug. Yeah, he was dumb. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess you can only have so many characters on screen. Um, and they could have chosen different characters. Yeah, you could have had. I mean, if you're not going to play up the Sabretooth Wolverine thing, don't use Sabretooth. Yeah. Um, if you just want to hire the thug, bring in you know Blob or bring in some other X Men character. But to bring in a really dumb Sabretooth, I yeah. thought was a waste. Yeah. Um, and then Toad, like whatever. Toad's one of the originals, you know, so that's fine. And I thought they they did use his real voice. Yeah, I thought they added, they made Toad okay, you know, mm -hmm. with the spit stuff. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he was the bearer of those really bad storm jokes. Um, but I mean, to get Ray Park, yeah, to play that that's role, pretty awesome. And then to to not really utilize. I mean, he had some some you know, moves uh, throughout the movie, but to not just embrace Ray Park's abilities. Yeah. Um, what a waste. Yeah. So. I hear you. But, you know, we get a lot of, you know, really interesting different dynamics from a lot of the different characters. One thing that I noticed was with, well, Ian McKellen. When he was offered the role of Magneto, he was doing Gandalf for Lord of the Rings. And he was originally going to decline, but when he spoke to Brian Singer about it, Singer arranged to rearrange the filming schedule so Ian McKellen could still be Magneto. And I thought that was really amazing on Brian Singer's part to actually wait and say, I really want you for this role. And he did it so well. Yeah, I, I mean, perfect cast for that role. To the point where they're still using them in the new movies. Like, yeah. On top of the new Professor X Magneto, you're getting, you know, Patrick Stewart and McKellen. Like, yeah. Just a, a wonderful role. And even with Logan that comes out today, uh, we've Patrick got Stewart. Patrick Stewart in that film. Now, yeah, I mean, we'll see when the movie comes out what other Easter eggs they put in it. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, we haven't seen it. Um, but you know, Brian's or not Brian Singer, the, the the makers of the of Logan, they've come out and said, you know, hey, this is this is not like a direct sequel. We're not we're not even saying it's in the same universe. Like, and that's okay. Yeah, like we're just because, gonna tell a really good story. Yeah, and that's how I feel about all the X Men movies. Like First Class came out, it was like great. Like it's a great X Men story. Mm -hmm. um, it's like going to the comic store. You pick up a new comic just because it has X Men on the title doesn't mean you're getting continuity X Men. Yes, you know, you're getting a mini series or a an alternate universe, whatever. Yeah, and that's kind of what Old Man Logan is. Yeah, it's it's an alternate universe. It's mm -hmm. not the same universe as the original X Men. And yeah. I mean, with the whole comic genre right now, with Secret Wars, they brought Old Man Logan back. Yeah, into the main. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess I've always liked those alternate universe stories. Um, some of my favorite comics of all time are alternate stories. And so when the movies came out, not just X-Men, but I mean all superhero movies, all superhero TV shows, I'm just okay with them breaking any rules they want to the comics because it's not the comic. Yeah. Like, this is a movie. They're going to tell... A good movie and if you if you make a good comic book 
it would not make a good movie because you wrote it, you drew it, you produced yeah. it for the page. Yep. And if you make a good movie, the same things don't work. So I, I'm, I'm getting, I'll get off my soapbox about it, but. No, but you're, just, you're very think... accurate with that description because this is a very good dynamic to talk about with one of the first superhero movies of the modern age with X-Men. Uh, we get a different dynamic from what is in the comics. And maybe it gets a lot of criticism because of that, but the movie universe and the comic universe is totally different. And yeah. I'm okay with that. I, I think it's... People are so attached to the characters. And I think when you um, talk to Joe Patrick about Superman, this I mean, it'll come out, and I don't want to speak for Joe, but... He loves Superman. Yeah. He loves Superman the way like I the way I love my kids. He loves Superman, and so when when you make a Superman movie that's not true to to the character that Joe loves, it it, it I, I don't know that it offends him, but it, it he's not happy about it. Whereas I'm maybe I don't love the X Men as, as strongly or passionately enough, and I'm able to step back. But it's just. You've got to be able to let these guys make good stories, make good movies, and accept it as something different than the comic you love. Yeah. Um, and we're getting so many freaking movies. Like, we, I mean, we're getting so many superhero movies that yeah. you've got to let... There's got to be a Superman that kills, and there's yep. got to be a, a dark, gritty DC universe. And in a couple of years, we'll get a nice, bright Superman. It'll just fluctuate, and that's fine. Yeah. And... Uh... You know, the thing about X-Men is with Ryan Singer uh, doing the movie, he had initially turned down the film three different times. And then finally he had thought that the comics were unintelligent literature. And yet this caused some really big stirs. I yeah. mean, X-Men in general is a big stir because it focuses on prejudice and racism and has you handle these deep-seated issues of comics or of the world in form of comics. What do you think about that? And I mean, to be honest, like a lot of 90s X-Men comics that weren't very good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like you can go buy a lot of really just okay comics mm -hmm. um you know and you find there are some comics that sell because of the character they well, like the, how the character handles reactions the humor of the character whatever the case may be but the story itself is just a vehicle to deliver that dialogue mm -hmm. um like deadpool or harley quinn these are characters that people love the character and they don't really care what the character does yeah, you know it doesn't matter who deadpool is killing it's the jokes he's making while he finds himself in these in this situation um so those comics aren't gonna be great no um and so x-men comics it might be the banter of a team um but the setting for that banter might be really bad you yeah know? so i think i think myself included comic fans are easily offended um when you talk poorly about comics, but you know, if you're only exposed to really you know, okay comics, yeah, it's a pretty easy assessment to say. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. But uh, you know, when we look at 
the X-Men movie that we're talking about today, um, it's, it's really an amazing piece of work. It was really well shot. Uh, there was a lot of really good uh, camera angles in it. There was a lot of uh, special effects that were actually practical effects, like most of Hugh Jackman's oh, yeah. stunts. He did himself. Yeah, yeah definitely. He didn't have other people do them. And then even Rebecca Romaine Stamos, she did a lot of her yeah. own stunts. Ray Park as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, it is a really good movie, but I think if you look at it in the same vein of the comics I was just talking about, it's an okay story. Yeah. Like, this isn't a great movie because the plot was so fantastic. Or, you know, it was just, it was about... It was a movie about characters, mm -hmm. and the plot just served as the vehicle to get those characters together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the movie is that okay level story, just like the comics. You know, that's not why you, you love the movie, that's not why you love the comics. So, but yeah, the cinematography of the movie was good. The practical effects, it was nice to see that that real, and we'll, um, first time we're going to bring up the music, um, I was thinking about this as... You know they they have these settings of Canada, you mm -hmm. know, across the country. They're all they're in New York. They're all they're all over the place, and the music has very distinct cues for each yes. location. Uh, one Michael Kamen did a really good job with bringing out a lot of those specific, like almost themes, but it was more like an area. Mm -hmm. Like you have this totally different environment, and it was more of an organic nature for the uh, the scenes in Canada. I, I think about when Wolverine is driving with Rogue in the you know, first in the back and then in the, the passenger seat. The music during that drive, uh, for I don't know how it how it happens, but that music is different than if you were in, say, South Dakota. Driving. Yeah. Like there's a difference, and, and I'm not the composer, so I don't know how he does it. But you you almost feel the cold in the music. Yeah, so. yeah, and the same thing with being in Westchester, New York. Yeah. Um, oh, it's it was faster. A, it was yeah. fast. Um, when you're at the mutant school, which is in that environment, Michael Kamen brings out that that quick uh, cues and those those strings and. Uh, really brings out like a full flush of new characters that you're introduced to, but it's through the music. Yeah. And you get a highlight of what the school is and what it does. And yeah, the, I really liked like, that, that. That scene where all the kids are running around on the, the X campus or whatever it's called, like the sheer complexity of the music during that scene is a mirror of, how much is going on in the in the in the background and stuff versus Logan driving through the you know Canadian wilderness? Not a lot. I mean, the music is good, but it's not. There aren't as many instruments. There isn't as much overlap yeah. and, and stuff. So it's more simple, yep. which is which is nice to see um, that that someone like Michael Kamen, who has done things like Highlander, and even with that score, you don't hear it a lot. With the Highlander score, because well, you have the Queen, you, you have the, have Queen in there. <laughs> but when you listen to the score, I've had an opportunity to sample that music, and it actually has a very dark feel, and it's a very dark movie. Yeah. So um, 
I think Michael Kamen did an amazing job with this film because he brought out the highlights of kind of the the brightness of New York and then you see the darkness of Magneto's lair <laughs> and uh, you get that music to help along with the story. Yeah. Um, so Logan comes up today, uh, Marco Latrami, composer <laughs> from, that we talked about a couple weeks ago for- He's doing the music. For us, maybe he did the music for Logan. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how- Yeah, I imagine that it's gonna be kind of a more quiet score. Yeah. Um, Mark Beltrami is known for that. He did, um, he did Hellboy. Yeah. He did Hellboy. He did um, one of the Underworld movies, mm -hmm. and that score is very uh, subdued. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that score will rate on my level. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's done. Like we talked about him, obviously, for Resident Evil. He's done a lot, so uh, it'll be good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we'll see. We'll see if he brings, um, you know, Hellboy type you know or if he brings that 310 to yuma yeah um and he also he replaced somebody i forget who but they had a composer for logan mm -hmm. and he, he I'll stepped have to look in that up again because um, i him. failed to look that up oh and, no uh, we're talking x-men i'm off topic but oh that's all right we'll because we're much. also you know discussing logan as a character yeah and that comes out today so that's the importance of looking at that is to see okay how is this composer going to do? Yeah. And when we compare it to, say, Michael Kamen's original X-Men score, it's it's very different. And uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, getting back on topic with the original X-Men movie, when we look at Wolverine, uh, when he's confronting Magneto, that look of shock that was with Hugh Jackman and he's looking at Magneto, there's this look of fear on his face when he first sees him in the train. Yeah. And when he finds out, you know, he's not after Wolverine. Yeah. You know, that was that was a good good moment. Um the the comic fan in me, I mean I grew up on that relaunch of the X Men with Jim Lee and, and all of that. And so when it, when Magneto pulls Wolverine up on the train and, and spread eagles him, all I could think like I remember sitting in the theater just freaking out thinking he's about to start ripping out a main team out of him <laughs> um in hindsight like yeah there's no way that was gonna happen yeah. like the movie didn't have that kind of budget didn't have no. that technical skill if they were making it today yep he's gonna do it yeah um, but um, yeah it, it was really unique and then he probably had this thought of shock because he didn't think that maybe he was just coming in to make a hole in the train, he actually ripped the entire train top yeah. of the train off to get to them. And I thought it was really interesting with this movie that they made Rogue to be kind of the primary focus of the film. Yeah, I mean, I think um, as as a fan, you wanted it to be Kitty Pride or Jubilee, you mm -hmm. know, as the classic Wolverine buddy. Um, but for a, a film audience, nobody knows who Jubilee is. And yeah. I'm like, okay, what does she do? She shoots fireworks? Like, yeah. Okay. Um, and Kitty Pride, it was probably simply budget. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot easier to to pull off a rogue. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't touch people. Like that's a really cheap special effect. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, and they have you know a few special effects for her. Yeah, but her which... powers don't cost any money. Yeah. You know, to to show her, and it's also a much more humanizing ability. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something people can relate to. Uh, whether or not they have, you know, you have that ability or not. There's always, you know, the adolescent fear. Yeah. The, and I think I think it was the right call. That's again one of those things where, as a comic fan, it's not what you wanted. No. But as a, it's not in a comic book. Things don't cost money. You just draw them. You yeah. Know, like so, you can have whatever powers you want. So, Rogue was definitely a, a better choice than like a Jubilee. Which I think early drafts it was Jubilee. Oh, okay, um, yeah. But yeah, I think that is right. So as much as I would want to see Kitty Pride, yeah. Well, we got her in a later movie. Yeah. But uh, that was one of the things I liked about the movie was that I really showed Rogue as a main character, and it wasn't that she had these different types of abilities like. I mentioned in my notes, uh, Paragon abilities like flight or super strength, invulnerability, speed, a seventh sense. These are abilities that she didn't have in this movie. And it was mainly because it's Fox versus another, you know, company that was owning main, the main part of Marvel. Yeah. But even if, even if the rights weren't an issue, like, You've got to tell a story. Yeah. And if, if Rogue has flight, super strength, all these other things, um, well, you got to tell how she got them. you got to, there's backstory yep. that. that it's no, almost that she would need cares. a separate movie yeah. for herself um, to get those abilities. Yeah. And like, okay, she can fly. Why does she need Wolverine? So I think, I think going to the core of Rogue's abilities, um, the right call for the movie yeah so yep that she can't touch people that uh it was more like it made her feel like a loner and then she had this connection with logan because he was he a was a loner yeah. and he just he wanted to be alone he didn't really want to be around people yeah and that made a really good effect for the film yeah, i think um i mean you look at like spider-man the same Raimi, Spider-Man, there was almost no, I mean, Green Goblin, another cheap character. Spider-Man, mm-hmm. you put him in a suit, you know, like you spend your money on the really important stuff. Um, but you look at Spider-Man with um, Andrew Garfield and how much more went into that, how much more they spent on that. Like, yeah. That's what happens when you get 15 years of, successful superhero movies your budget goes up this movie cost what 70 yeah it was Um, not very much and they they only they didn't make as much as they thought they would to 250 i think somewhere around that yeah but at at the time that was a a healthy movie oh yeah Um, yeah definitely yeah especially for a genre movie like this and i thought it was really interesting you know getting back to the music Brian Singer had originally wanted John Williams. Yeah. And I mean... <laughs> Doesn't he, everybody want that? Yeah, because like, John Williams is... I mean, he can do no wrong. He yeah. really can't. Well, I mean, I think it's... He's so 
he does so many different movies that are entire like elements of the film that each movie is different yeah and he was doing other movies he was doing saving private ryan at the time so of course he was unavailable yeah but i i mean it goes to like brian singer being a real fan like brian singer wanted to make a franchise yeah like star wars like star trek like superman he wanted he was thinking five movies yeah. in, a, in a time where the studios were thinking, get this done two. cheap, yeah. make us a little money, like, ugh, let's keep the characters, let's not lose our rights. Um, and Brian Singer was thinking Star Wars. Um, mm -hmm. So it makes sense he would go after funny. John yeah. Williams. Yeah. Um, but could you imagine if John Williams had scored this movie? It would have been a really different movie in a way. I, I I don't think it would have been very good. Like you never know. If you would have had to cut the movie yeah. around John Williams's score, and I'm like, the movie wasn't filmed for a John Williams. Like, where are those character moments with you know Darth Vader coming out of the? It's like possible. the movie just. But I mean, the movie didn't have those sequences. That's true. To give John, like John Williams, needs forty-five seconds to introduce a character. Like he needs 45 <laughs> seconds of film time yeah. for a guy to walk down the ramp. And and the X-Men movie, it wasn't filmed that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe Brian Singer would have changed it. But, I mean, the movie was made before he went after the composer. Yeah. And so, so Michael Kamen was a better choice because he could do it faster. Well, and and yeah. he had the time to be able to view the film footage. And as we've had... Um, you know, the interview from uh, Craig Saffin, I mean, that really proved, too, how certain composers get approached yeah. for a film score. And yeah, You gotta be free. <laughs> yeah, and John Williams wasn't free. Yeah. So uh, I really thought it was good, too, when we look at another character of the X-Men, Patrick Stewart, I mean, he had never heard of X-Men. Yeah. But... He thought it was the X-Files. Yeah. And that was really unique too. But then he even finally, when he was doing research for the movie, he went ahead and looked up the comics. And he said it was the most fun research he had ever done. Oh, yeah. I mean... So he really he's enjoyed... He's no stranger to the, the you know, nerd world, yeah, obviously. because obviously, of doing yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Um, I always find it funny to hear the stories about the actors doing research like that. Mm -hmm. Like going to the con I, like there was a um, the guy who played the Punisher on the new Daredevil mm -hmm. season two. Um, there was the comic store that he went to. The guy who sold him the comics like tweeted out their interaction as soon as he left the like. So, uh, blanking on the guy's name, he comes into the store and he's kind of looking around and the comic shop guy is like starting to recognize who he is and the news had just broke. And he walks up and he's like, starts putting books in his hands. Like, you need to read this. You need to read this. You need to, and pushes him out the door and he's like, don't screw this up. <laughs> and of course, um, the guy playing Punisher is like, man, what did I get into? <laughs> so... Yeah, it's always funny to hear that that research story. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it just it really brings out an element of difference that 
these actors, some of them like Patrick Stewart, who doesn't really have much familiarity with like the comic book world. Oh, no. yeah. He actually enjoyed doing it. And then what I found really unique, as we've talked about before with some Star Trek connections, that Patrick Stewart and um, Famke Jensen were both on an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation together. And it was called, um, let's see, it was called The Perfect Mate. And it was about a possible relationship developing between uh, a character that she had been reserved for this prince. Um, I was having trouble remembering who Famke Jim, and I just looked at it. I was Jean like, Grey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, <laughs> I remember from, I've been watching uh, Next Generation for yeah. about a year, like, Going, I've seen it obviously, but going through it, like all the episodes. Yeah, I just watched the High Ground. Not oh too yeah. Long ago. So, yeah. Uh, I'm such a big Star Trek fan that I was looking at, you know, these different characters that may have been in, you know, X Men. Yeah. And looking, okay, what episodes of Star Trek have they been in? And Famke Jansen, she is the first one that I thought of that stood out in my mind because it made it very similar to her character because she could she was like an empath yeah and she was kind of telekinetic in x-men yeah. and she had she could be able to read people's minds or move things with her mind and uh it was just really unique that both of them had that good chemistry on star trek yeah. and then they brought that chemistry back to where they could interact really well together on X-Men. Um, you an X-Men comic fan? I have been in the okay. past. I, I haven't read an X-Men book in probably yeah. six, seven months. Yeah. Um, what are your th thoughts on... So Jean Grey, she's obviously older. Like, they're all older mm -hmm. versus, like, the X-Men comics where they're teenagers or, like, 20, 21 Mm -hmm. um, how do you think it changed the dynamic making all those characters older? Jean Grey is the one that stands out for me specifically. Yeah, well, I have to say that the dynamic for her character in, in particular, actually, it matured her very well because she was already uh, developing her powers early on. Like, she developed her powers because even in the movie in X-Men... Professor X talks about Jean Grey was one of the first that yeah. he found. And that really sparked something in my mind saying, yeah, she's had these powers for a long time and she's matured really well in developing them because she's had that time. And she's not a real social person, but she's more shy and trying to hold back yeah. things and there were certain elements of the X-Men movie that brought out details that you could see her character developing to where the Phoenix could be brought out mm -hmm. and you could see like sometimes with her anger or with how she would develop like with a certain focus or like how she looked at things. Yeah. And she was a perfect actress for that character. Okay.
Um, I just, I, when I, I mean, I just rewatched it before we did this, and you know, the first time you see her on the screen, she's giving a, a speech to the Senate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't really. I think a Senate. Yeah, um, it would have to be the Senate um, or the uh, body of Congress. Or well, I, I think it's. I think it was the House of Congress. Yeah, whoever it was. They, I mean, they they leave some of those details vague. Um, you know, she's obviously older and experienced and. Um, so you, but what I didn't get was the impression, this is a criticism of the movie, is the characters are experienced and established, but you didn't get a feel that the campus was aged. Yeah. Like the campus, and not, I'm not talking like the, you know, building needs to be run down, but the, the whole campus felt like a new thing. Mm-hmm. Like they had just opened um and maybe they maybe they do but they kind of leave that timeline kind of open um and that was a good thing yeah but i just felt like it was a contrast between how established these x-men are but they've never done anything they've never gone out in public but they've got these suits and they've got a jet and they all know how to fly i mean like there was just this this missing element that like have they been doing stuff, but covertly? And if so, how? Like, yeah. how did they pull that off? How does the world not know who they are? Um, but maybe versus... that was Brian Singer's point, is to be able to say, all right, later, I want to revisit these characters. Yeah, but but they don't, in this movie, like I so said, it's like they've been doing this X-Men thing for 10 years, but this is their first mission. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was just this disconnect between yeah that they should have been almost they should have been younger. They should have been a whole lot younger, but obviously, they they couldn't be younger and do the roles they they were for this movie. So yeah, I think it's like I said, they needed to be older. I'm glad they were older for this movie. I just think they missed a few cues in, like, hey, why are we so experienced if we've never done this? Yeah, so. exactly. And, uh, you know, there's there's so many things that we could be talking about in regard to uh, different elements of the movie, like some of the set pieces, the replica of Lady Liberty. Yeah. Um, her head was 1.5 times the size of the real thing. That's pretty large for a set. Yeah, I mean, I've never been on the Statue of Liberty. Like, I don't know. I don't know how big it is. But, it's pretty large. I mean, how many... From a distance, you can't see it too well, but I've, I've been to New York City and seen the Statue of Liberty, and it's the size is really big. And when you think about that the size of the head is even larger, it's pretty yeah. impressive so that like, they built the set that big. Yeah, so you can go up in the Statue of Liberty? Mm-hmm. But which yeah. part... Can you, go up you can go up to the head. The head. Yeah. Because okay. there's a ladder inside, and then where the you can even go up to the lamp. Okay. Because so you can go that yeah. far up. Hmm. Okay. So it's just really impressive that they built a set that that yeah. was that large. Um, I thought it was interesting that. The executive producer Tom DeSanto compared mm-hmm. Wolverine to Steve McQueen and Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah. So Definitely. you know you get that that 
he just has a presence yeah. on scene, and I thought that was really unique. Um, what do you think of the uh, claw cling on the Statue of Liberty? How he like flips around? It actually made me dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> the camera move because yeah. the camera move. It it fortunately I was sitting down when I was watching yeah. it, so uh, it just um, it just had an element of whoa! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that was going to happen there. I think it took me out of the film for a minute because all I could think about was how. Like, mm -hmm. how do you do that if your claws can cut through it? Uh, but anyways. Well, it fell off. Yeah, but he, how was off. he able to swing around it before it's... <laughs> why didn't it just slice right through? Yeah. yeah. But... Yeah, anyway, that's a small matter. Yeah. But anyway, I've got a few cues I'd like to, yeah. for us to consider today. Um, the first is um death camp oh yeah um that's a major scene that develops uh magneto's character and really brings out his powers and you realize that he has the power to move metal and um with that very scene how do you think that the music adds drama to the film I mean, that's a scene that they've used in probably all 10 X-Men movies. Like, they spent a lot of money on that scene, and they give it a lot of airtime. Um, the music, I mean, it's perfectly cued, um, you know, to to give the sound effects room to, to grow into it as well. Mm -hmm. um, you get the fence bending, or, you know, whatever bending and breaking and you get that metal screeching yeah um and, and it blends right into this into the music yeah um, i liked that that even after the the fence is bent that it's almost like the echo of that fence carries it's through still carrying through um, through the music to the puddle yeah yeah so um yeah i think it was that's a good example of why the score is done after the movie yeah is, is finished mm -hmm. um I think that's a really good way of doing it. Um, I find that as I've looked at different movies and as I've looked at how they've done scoring through some of these films, uh, some of the directors want the scoring to be done as they're filming. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's really hard to do because I don't know what's coming after. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, it, it takes longer, costs more money. Exactly. Uh, but... I, I think it's like you can be a really good director. You know, you could be a, a to use a student grade analogy, you could be an A director with a C level grasp on music. Yeah. Uh, you know, like your director of strengths can be cinematography, special effects, and music could just be kind of like, well, I guess we need it. Um, or you could you could be an A in music, uh, mm -hmm. and so. And Michael Kamen does an amazing job. So now, let's hear Death Camp.
All right, so the next cue I'd like to play is called the Mutant School. Um, this is actually, there's actually a very different in the expanded edition compared to the regular soundtrack that's come out. Uh, but I'll be playing the one that's the expanded edition because it actually adds another 30 to 40 seconds yeah. worth of music to the queue. And it really brings out this glorious, like, full scene of seeing all these kids that are having these different abilities and how Logan perceives this whole... Coming uh, out of the tunnels. Yeah. And, and, you know, he thinks he's in the camp or in the, like, uh, place where he's, you know, performed on. Mm. And then he emerges and he's in paradise. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, big contrast in the music there. Yeah. So uh, now let's go ahead and play Logan in the Mutant School.
right, so the next cue um, I'd like to play is a combination of three from the album. Uh, the first is called Train, then Magneto Standoff, and the X-Jet. Now, with these cues, what really stands out in your mind for these elements of music that add to the film? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on the X Jet. You know, okay. Like, you know, like this is the I mean the Blackbird is part of X Men lore. You know, mm -hmm. like it it is a character. Um, and there's so many stories that take place in and in and around it. So to see it, that was kind of the sleeper for this movie. Like everyone knew who the characters were when they when they walked into the theater. Um, you knew which characters were gonna be on screen. You know which villains you're gonna get. Um, you know, this is to put a, a modern spin on it. Like this is giant man in civil war. Like, yeah. the, you're like the X jet, you know? So the music just like hits that, like right when you see the blackbird, it just jumps up. Yeah. Um, and then when they're flying over, coming in on the statue of Liberty and like, you know, they cloak and they go down and storm calls up the mist. Um, there's that one scene where the, the blackbird comes down low. Uh, just the, probably one of my favorite musical moments in the whole movie mm -hmm. is just when it comes down low and the she calls up the cloud or whatever. Yeah. Whatever she calls and up. I like that cue also for the specific reason that it brings that main X-Men movie theme yeah. into the film. Now, with this first movie, they didn't really establish a full theme for X-Men until the second movie until yeah. x-men united oh, yeah and they michael Kamen, with doing the first score he brought in this minor little cue that was perfect for the x-men theme and yeah. john ottman built on that and it developed into the full x-men movie theme of what we know now yeah that's where knowing john williams would have been it like yeah you almost want there to be a superman level theme or a star wars theme mm -hmm. you know? so and yeah. so that's how it built so now let's go ahead and play these three cues
lastly, we've got two queues to play. And one is called Logan and Rogue. And then we have Checkmate and the end title. And the point about these, when looking back on the movie, how do you think the newer movies have changed over the original story that was procured for this film? Um, so new movies compared to the old? Yeah. Well, I mean, special effects, budget. I mean, that's there's just no way you can avoid that conversation. Um, you know, first class, you get twice the number of characters in it. Every single one of them has a special effects budget. Mm -hmm. um, this movie... You, were, you chose characters because of how cheap you could pull off their effects. Mm -hmm. you, know, you didn't have Angel because it's expensive how people fly. Um, you know, when Storm flies, it's very, like, obvious that yeah. you're not seeing her whole body. <laughs> you, yeah. know? Um, you know, so I think the special effects are the main thing. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in 10 years, you look at X-Men 2000 versus First Class, and you're, you're going to kind of look at them the same way. I mean, you have fantastic casting for both Professor X and Magneto mm -hmm. um, in both trilogies. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the cast is just bonus. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it'll they'll both play out the same in 20 years. Um, but I think the, the budget is the main difference. Yeah. And then when you look at the music, you see a development of the music that it actually has expanded and become its own animal in a way because um, John Ottman has become the pro facto X-Men composer. Yeah. Brian Singer hasn't gotten any other composer except John Ottman. And the reason is, well, Michael Kamen died for one and for another, John Ottman has been developed as a X-Men composer. Well, yeah, I mean, And he's done other films as well, but he's known for that. We've talked about that, how a, a director will, will latch onto one composer. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes them a couple movies to get to know each other. Um, so it's it's great when you can keep one team. It, you know, it's like in sports, you know, you have the coach and a star. You know, the longer yeah. you can keep the two of them together the more likely you're going to win. So, Yeah, so now let's go ahead. I mean, what we're going to do is listen to this final cue. In fact, it's very exciting because next week we're going to be talking about Skull Island and also going into the music of Max Steiner from the original yeah. 1933 release of King Kong. In all its black and white glory. Yeah. But it's going to be really exciting. Uh, we're going to really enjoy that. So I urge you all to enjoy uh, next week as well. And so I hope you enjoy this last cue with Logan and Rogue. And then Checkmate and End Title. Happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.